thank you for joining us on The Skeptic Sidekick, where we delve into ancient societies, the ghosts, the paranormal, UFOs, all looking at it from the perspective of the true believer and from the skeptic perspective. Joining me, my partner, my co-host, my sibling, Kimber Rodriguez. Myself, I am Richard Gregg. And again, let's look into being the skeptic psychic. Hello, and welcome once again to the skeptic psychic. Where we look at things from a perspective of, you know, fact, maybe fantasy, just the, uh, just history, that sort of thing. And uh, we just, with me, of course, is my wonderful, beautiful sister who's sitting there on the Padre Island somewhere out there. How are you doing today? Good. I wish I was sitting in South Padre Island. Um, but yeah, today it's only virtual that I am there. As you can see, that's why it's all weird as I move. So how have you been this week? I've uh, been okay. Just tired a lot lately. I know that. I've, I've definitely been feeling that way myself. Um, so I wanted to start tonight off with a story, if that's okay. Okay. Tell me a story. Okay. This, wait, um, wait, I, I, let, me, let me grab my cat. That way I can hold on to it and cuddle and listen to the story. Okay. Oliver. Um, Oliver, come here. Okay, tell me a story. Okay, so this story um, was told to me by one of our listeners. And she did have, I'm sorry, she did give me the permission to share it. So I want to go ahead and do that. And um, this listener, to start out, um, when she was young, she met a guy and she fell in love with him. He was, he was a great guy, very nice, very friendly, but he did have a little bit of a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. So she decided, you know, for the welfare of her and her daughter to leave him and, you know, go on and start a new life. Um, now, this guy... Unfortunately, he could not get his drinking out of control. So a lot of people ended up cutting the, him out of his life. And he ended up passing away with nobody there. Then this person who told me the story. Oh. I'm Sorry. telling a story here. I know. Thank you. <laughs> so this guy passed away. And the person who was telling me the story she told me about a dream where she had, he came to her. And at this point he was in his death state and she saw like his death and everything. And she was torn between, is this my psyche telling me that I feel guilty for his death? Is he punishing me because, you know, I took my daughter away and we were not there for the death. So I kind of got the feeling that it was neither. Um, I think he was just trying to get her attention. And he was still confused because of his death and everything. So that's why he came to her in that state. Um, she said she could feel his spirit 
like still lingering, but it would not enter the house. It was just kind of there. And she felt very disturbed by this. And I told her that I had the feeling that he was there because he had a message for her. But because of the disturbing dream, he realized he scared her and he didn't want to scare her again. That's why he was kind of staying away. But he wanted to look over, you know, their daughter and her. So a little bit later, she messaged me and she's like, thank you so much. She had another dream where she saw him as normal and basically told her pretty much what I had told her that, you know, that he was okay and that he was going to be watching out for her and her daughter. And then he left and she kind of was at peace. And so I just wanted to share that story because it was, you know, told to me and given permission to share on the show. If anybody listening has a show, I'm sorry, has a story that you would like to share, um, you can email us at info at skepticpsychic.com. I also came to, came to me today on maybe we could possibly do a segment where um, we can, since we do the show live, maybe you can call in and share your story through either Zoom or by phone. Um, I don't know what my partner here thinks of that idea. I haven't had a chance to discuss them yet. But I should not be brought on the air until we've discussed it. Go figure. I'm sorry. Yes. ADD. But it was an idea. I wanted to get what our members think as well. Um, let us know what you think in the um, in the group, Skeptic Psychic, and I can mm -hmm. go ahead and put a QR code back up for that. And anything you'd like to share before we get into the topic tonight? Mm, not really. I just kind of been tired. I'm sorry. I woke up at 3 o'clock yesterday morning and watched some TV and didn't go back to bed till 4.30 in the morning. Oh, that stinks. Yeah. Oh, that is never fun. I, nope. I've done that before. So. Yes. So. I'm going to just click this here. Well, I do I also do want to say that uh, if uh, for all you Star Trek fans out there uh, on Friday, it was Friday, we had the uh, the anniversary of the first episode of Star Trek. Oh, wow. The original? The original. Interesting. That's September 8th, 1966. So that would have been two days ago. Yes, it said on, on Friday, two days ago. Oh, okay. Not a problem. I'm just doing the math in my head. I apologize. Yes. Yes. So, shall we go ahead and click into tonight's topic? Yes, what Let is people know what topic? we're talking about? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about Serene. Uh, Serena. Or uh, 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 Manhattan, that sort of thing, you know. Let's learn about the wonderful world. Of no, her Ariel. name was Madison because they were on Madison Boulevard. Okay. Yes. Um, 
Yes, we are going to be going under the sea today to talk about the majestic or frightful creature, depending yeah. on the tales and legends, of the mermaid. Are they real? Do they exist? Have you seen one? So why don't you go ahead and kick us off with the mermaids? Alrighty, the mermaids. Not to be confused uh, with the uh, movie starring Cher and Winona Ryder back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, what comes to mind when you think about mermaids? As the shining teenager mermaid breaking curfew uh, with her flounder friend and cruising uh, over, in, uh, over to a boy. She's never had a conversation before. Those sleek fins that the woman of ages are always squeezing themselves into those last few years. Lovely ladies with perfect hair, shell bras, and strings of pearls. What do mermaids really eat? Algae? How are they adapting to our warming oceans? And just how do those shells stay on there anyway? Stickies. Yeah. Jellies. <laughs> I mean, the, the little tentacle parts of the jellyfish are the one that stings. The top part, not so much. So, you know, that may be, you know. That might be what's holding those shells on. Right. 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 You know, they've been part of our world culture since at least 5,000 B.C. Well, at least mermen anyway. A Babylonian priest named Barosus described a god by the name of Onias. Oneus, okay, Oneus, Oneus, whichever you want to call it, who held the form of a fish, but had a human head under his fish one, and under his tail, the feet of a man. Therefore, Oneus was also to be able to walk on the sands of the Persian Gulf and instruct mankind of the arts. Um, I'm picturing somebody in one of those really cheap costumes going mm -hmm. around, you know, they've got the head cut out, and they're walking around waddling. You know, like you would see at a school play or something like that. That's what I'm picturing this guy looked like. Right. Uh, he was able to uh, teach uh, mankind on the arts, science, and writing. Historians believe that he may have been a uh, emissary of Ea, who is at the time was the god of fresh water and of wisdom. However, there is a different imagery of Oneus. Um, this has been drawn or carved over the years. He is often portrayed as a typical merman with the, you know, half man, half fish. Um, question is, though, was it the top or the bottom that was the man? Mm -hmm. um, well, it says typical, so I'm assuming it means, you know, like the top part was man. Um, and... Unfortunately, only fragments remain of Barosis's writings. That's a hard one, Barosis's. Much of it is simply summed up in the writings of other scribes throughout the years. However, his words regarding Oneus are said to be this. At first, they, meaning the Babylonians, led a somewhat wretched existence and lived without rule after the manner of beasts. But in the first year after the flood, meaning I'm thinking the flood that's talked about in the Bible with um, Noah's Ark. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it says after the flood, there appeared an animal endowed with human. I'm sorry, human reason. And his name was Aeneas. He rose out of the Aetherian Sea. At this point, I'm sorry, at the point where it borders Babylonia. He had a whole body of a fish. But above his fish's head, he had another head, which was that of a man. A human, oh wait, I'm sorry, and human feet emerged from beneath his fish tail. His voice was human, and an image of him is preserved to, unto this day. He passed the day in the midst of men without taking food. He taught them the, how to use letters, science, and arts of all kind. He also taught them to construct cities, to create temples, and compile laws. He also explained to them the principles of the geometric knowledge. He made them distinguish the seeds of the earth and showed them how to collect fruits. In short, he instructed them in everything which could tend to soften human manner and humanize their laws. From that time, nothing material had been added by way of improvement to his instructions. And when the sun set, this being Onaeus retired again into the sea because he was amphibious. Um, so this kind of makes me think of like, I don't know, almost like, uh, what's the word? What's the word? Evolution. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like maybe you started out as fish and then it evolved into man. And that's where they get this whole man-fish combo thing coming on. I don't know. What do you think? I kind of think that, you know, the non-man-fish, you know, we're uh, thinking about, you know, these the first preliminaries of, of, of Neptune or even uh, Poseidon. Poseidon, yes. We're going to continue on with Onaeus, who's often linked to the greater known as the Seven Sages. It's a series of seven demigods who were part man and part fish or bird or another type of animal. All were blessed with wisdom and passing this along with the, to the world of men. Interesting though, however, that before the Great Flood was written in the ep Epic of Gil Gilgamesh, which was thought to be uh, come from 18th century BCE, which is before uh, yeah. Christian evolution, that the highest god, Enel, wanted to destroy the world by flood. It, most cultures around the world believe the form of massive flood story that Christianity attributes to Noah. But in the Epic of Gilgamesh in the Reprim writings, that before the flood, the seven sages were demigods, but after Gilgamesh writings take place, the sages were written off as being human only, losing their art, uh, animalistic qualities. Now, the earliest legend of a mermaid appears to take place in Syria about 1000 BC when the goddess Artagaeus dove into a lake, taking on the form of a fish. The other gods, however, refused to allow her to lose her beauty and only allowed her lower half to become a fish, forcing her to keep the top half as a woman she was. The Greeks referred to her as Dekarto, and in northern Syria, she was the chief among all goddesses, being primarily, primarily a fertile goddess and a protector of the people who worshipped her. Per her writings, not only did she control the water, 
but held hearing healing properties in her holy waters and was sought to bless the faithful with beauty that could not be hidden. She was the connection between the moon and the tide, ruled the waves and also the emotions. Interesting. Yes. Now, archaeologists have found her figure on ancient temples, statues, as well as coins. This shows how widely people actually believed in her. Her temples holding large ponds filled with fish that were worshipped. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, it was said the story of her transformation was to guide followers to face their fears and their darkest natures so they could come to both love and appreciate the complex beings that we as humans are. Now, even early Britons, like the Celts, told stories of mermaids in their culture. However, there is no recorded images in their, um, I guess, no, I'm sorry, no recorded images of them until around 1078 A.D. Mm -hmm. This is in Durham's Castle's Norman Chapel. The Saxons of the time carved a mermaid's image, but it is considered by historians to have been included to symbolize temptations of the soul. Hmm. Temptations. So, yes. Oh, no. Gone again. Yeah, so this was to, you know, warn people about how, you know, things could come to tempt your soul and pull it away from God. Mm -hmm. And so they did it, you know, kind of like this temptress fish woman type thing. Um, however, the word mermaid is not as old as it is compared to the, its history. As the word is thought to have been derived from mir or mer, which means sea, mm -hmm. and maid, which like, you know, a maiden could be, you know, female. So it was a mermaid. A male one was a merman. And this was first known to be mentioned in the Chaucer, Chaucer, cannot say that word tonight, Chaucer. Chaucer, C-H-U. Chaucer, yes. Yeah. Was, um, it was a fragment of his tale, The Canterbury Tales, which is definitely very hard to read, but very worth it if you can get through its old English. And this tale was known as the nun's priest's tale. This was written back, way back, way, 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 way back in 1390 AD. Mm -hmm. And as I said, you know, if you can get through the old English, the Canterbury Tales is a wonderful, wonderful read, um, but it is difficult. Mermaids, or a form of them, have been found in pretty much every seafaring society. Homer also wrote about them in the Odyssey. Asian societies believe mermaids to be the wives of powerful sea dragons. And they served as messengers between the dragon spouses and the emperor on land. The Aborigines of Australia believed the singing mermaid they called the Yok Yoks 
And there's even Paleolithic cave paintings from 30,000 years ago that show magical creatures along with more recognizable creatures. So that kind of makes you think, I mean, if going all the way back to 30,000 years ago, they were mm -hmm. creating these drawings, it makes you wonder, were they actually seeing these things or were they seeing things that look like it? And so they were like, oh, well, you know, that looks kind of like this. So I'm going to draw it as that. But if that's the case, then how is it that people who had never seen these drawings were seeing the same thing? So it kind of makes you wonder how their mind went to the exact same thing as these people 30,000 years ago when they right. had no way of seeing these, these drawings to say, oh, my gosh, that's this. So I'm going to go with that. Now, regardless what each folklore comes into creation, sailors were spreading the stories of sighting these elusive, beautiful creatures back into the Middle Ages. And even now and then, a new report will pop up of a mysterious creature that saved someone from drowning or guided them safely to shore. In October of 2002, three mermaids really did save a scuba diver and have been interviewed and hailed as heroines. These three were in the midst of an open water rescue drill off the California Catalina Island. Yes, even mermaids take classes. This one being an advanced professional association of diving instruction mermaid class. The instructor, Ella Jimenez, along with the safety uh, diver, Great Chinberger, honestly, we can't make this stuff up, and mermaid safety student, Elena Garcia, heard cries for help and swam as swift as they could in their mermaid monofins. They reached the 73-year-old scuba diver, Pablo Alviera, unconscious and foaming at the mouth and not breathing. Together, the three of them stripped off his gear and gave him rescue breaths while dragging him to shore. There's a little bit more, of course. Aviada was an expert scuba diver, and even now and then trouble happens. While the gauge is running low, Aviada and two others headed to the surface. He may have had his breath on his way up or to descend too quickly or to rental scuba dive faltered. But the Aviada reached the surface, began foaming at the mouth, barely managed to tell his companions, Javier and Joshua uh, Tramont, that he couldn't breathe and then lost consciousness. So we want to make this clear. This was an actual mermaids who saved this poor man's life. This was women dressed up as mermaids. Are you sure Learned about that? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm I'm pretty sure that these were actual women who were obsessed with mermaids. So they took a class learning how to swim with a fin and how to breathe underwater. And that's where the whole mermaid thing came from. Okay. That's just my opinion. Now, the cries the mermaids heard were from Avila's friend. As he grabbed him and removed his mask, he tugged him towards the shore while yelling for help. Um, the three were around 80 yards from the beach when the mermaids arrived to aid them. 
Um, this did help save Avila's life as the mermaids stripped his dive weights and accessed the equipment. I'm sorry, and excess equipment. And they, while they gave him the rescue breaths. This did allow his friends to keep pulling him to shore without the distraction. And they were able to do open water CPR. Thankfully, Avila, Avila did, uh, sorry, words. <laughs> Thankfully, Avila did recover. And he had to spend some time in a hyperbaric chamber, you know, to get his pressures and everything back up. Um, as well as, you know, the air that was in his blood. However, the divers and the mermaids all claimed it was a magical and surreal experience. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm really feeding into that one, people. Mm -hmm. So, yes, if you look at it from a logical standpoint, you could say that mermaids have actually helped people reach the shore to safety. But are they really mermaids, people? Ask yourself that. Yes. <laughs> Sailors over the centuries have looked at mermaids either being good luck or bad luck. And the chances of receiving aid are based on the flip of their tail. However, sailors attributed the mermaid as a representation of the force of nature that the sea truly is. If there was a sudden squall that hit, either it was the fault of the mermaids or, you know, maybe Poseidon was having a bad day and decided to, you know, mm -hmm. create a squall. And surviving the violent seas meant that either, you know, Poseidon was having a good day, decided mm -hmm. to let everything be chill and copacetic. Yeah. Or it could mean that the local mermaids were, you know, done with their mischief for now. Every sailor knew that each man was judged according while traversing the vastness of the ocean. If you were dragged down into the depths, it was most likely that you were a bad fellow. You were not a very nice guy if the seas took you under people. That, or maybe a mermaid fell too hard for you and decided to make you her groom. So they pulled you down into the sea so that you can spend all of your life with them. But they forgot you cannot breathe underwater. Yep. Now, if you went overboard, but, you know, you saw land and were able to get to it or you came upon some treasure... It was said that you had the flavor and the blessings of the mermaid because they liked you and they wanted to give you something wonderful. So they gave you land and treasure. Yep. Now, as such, once figureheads became popular between the 16th and 20th centuries, it often was a mermaid that was carved into a fix to the bow. It was thought that by showing you that you believed in the mermaid that would be appeased by calming the sea bringing good weather and allowing a safe passage and return to shore. That makes sense. Yeah. Mermaids even swam uh, decorated ancient maps. Early map maker, Olius Magnumus, 
use a variety of sea monsters, not just mermaids, on patches of the map where he dangerous weathers and shipwrecks were frequent. <laughs> Here he began uh, them be monsters was held in respect when sailing those parts of the sea. Mermaids, however, have been mostly blamed for ships running around, either on shore or hung up on submerged, uh, submerged rocks. This is most likely as a ruin running around, and as a frequent experience, water levels may be low or navigation may be off. There was no GPS back in those days, so a compass, sextant, and a time all you had really was to go by. These sailors dropping weight, weighted ropes to discern how many phantoms lay below the keel all knew how the water levels would be if they were uh, could change suddenly, and that sea mouths and coral reefs existed pretty much anywhere they wanted to sail. So does that mean that the Bermuda Triangle is a home for mermaids? Maybe. Maybe that's why there's so many shipwrecks there? Is because the place is filled with mermaids. Mm -hmm. Now, regardless, you would think that the ancient sailors would want to tattoo a mermaid or two on their bodies to show these lovely ladies that they believed in them. But mermaid tattoos aren't even at the top 10. A sailor was more likely to get an anchor than any other ink. And this makes sense since the acre steadies you and keeps you from drifting. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, the second most popular tattoo is the swallow. A sailor would get a swallow on one side of his chest after he completed his first 5,000 nautical miles on sea. And to celebrate his 10,000th nautical milestone, he would get tattooed a swallow on the other side. Now, that kind of sounds strange to us nowadays, but sailors did believe that you, if you were to drown, the swallows would carry your soul up to heaven rather than you would, you know, swing, uh, sink down to Davy Jones' locker. Also, I'm sorry, behind the swallows, they get dragons and golden dragons. Mm-hmm. Fully rigged ships, shellback turtles, nautical stars, Compasses and compass roses, pigs and roosters. Yep. And words that hold fast tattooed on their knuckles. Um, it is only modern times that have seen the popularity of the mermaid tattoos. This is actually starting in the early 1300s. It was seen to bring luck to the sailor if he fell overboard. Now, my question you were in the Navy. Yes. Did you ever meet anybody that had these tattoos? I knew a couple of people that actually did have tattoos. Were they of the ones mentioned or were they something different? Uh, well, with the tattoos, you'd have uh, a case. I think I met three guys that actually did have mermaid tattoos, but the rest were kind of like uh, anchors or uh, ships. That sort of thing. Interesting. Of course, these days it's believed that any sailor who claimed to have spotted mermaid was either hallucinating from dehydration and heat or had spotted a manatee out on the rock or swimming around the ship. Grown manatees are the large uh, humans having been out to sea for so long, stretches 
a fellow could have desperately been the sight of a woman. Even a chubby manatee shaped one to have mistaken the manatee for the real thing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, um, also, I think dolphins, correct? Mm -hmm. dolphins now, even cool. Christopher Columbus claimed to have spotted mermaids cavorting around the off coast of the uh, Dominican Republic. He was quick to point out that unlike the di diversity beautiful mermaids of the fable, what he saw was not that good looking, claiming that they were not half as beautiful as they were painted. Still, for a guy who got a lot wrong about the way you can blame him for wanting to hype up the exploits of a little three chunky chicks on the plane aside elevating themselves above the surface of the water. Okay, yeah. Almost makes you wonder if Columbus really ever met a girl. If that can't be the case, because he was married and had two sons. One with his wife, the other one with his mistress. Maybe he needed glasses or was just blind to the sunlight of the water. Of course, the full, the first ever recorded <laughs> mermaid was would ever to go on display was shown by showman Phineas Taylor Barnum. Though his isn't where the t this tale begins. So, going back to my theory about the Bermuda Triangle, the Dominican Republic isn't that around the Bermuda Triangle? Yes, it is. So there you go. Yeah. And he was blinded by the light. Sorry. Well, even though uh, on another topic, he also did see some uh, uh, unidentified objects in the sky. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> I have a question about that, but I don't want to get on topic. So I'll ask you about that later. However, in 1822, an American captain from Boston by the names of the name of Samuel Barrett Eads and his crew were uh, rescued a group of sailors. One piece of cargo they had with them and they were sinking from a Dutch merchant ship. The cargo that was saved, this was supposedly a stuffed body and this was a stuffed body of a dead mermaid now, the crew had said they purchased this from a Japanese fisherman. So I think they were taken for a ride, but Captain Eads saved this bit of cargo as it absolutely fascinated him. He was so excited, you know, that he had, had it. And stories varied as to how he got the funds to get it. He owned an eighth interest in the ship Pickering and most tales have him selling the ship and he sold the ship supposedly for $6,000. Today that's chump change. Mm -hmm. Some tales, however, state that the Dutch merchants demanded 5,000 in Spanish dollars. If you put that into U S dollars, the purchase was about the equivalent to a cool quarter of a million dollars today's money. Um, if various stories are correct, it means that Eads used the ship's expense count. He then sold the ship and all of its contents for an additional $6,000. So in today's dollars, that's about $160,000. Mm -hmm. um, altogether, Eads did manage to walk away with the mermaid 
and having essentially stolen half a million dollars from the ship's true owners and accounts. No longer ca uh, captaining a ship, Eads decides that he was a now an adventurer instead of a sailor and booked passage from the U.S. to London, England, where he planned to exhibit his mermaid naturally. Customs confiscated it, calling in William Cliff to investigate the mermaid. Cliff was the assistant of Sir Edward Home, the famous anatomist of the day, as somebody who looks at the anatomy. Cliff presented himself at the East Indies, uh, India Baggage Warehouse on September 21st, 1822, to inspect the mermaid. He claimed it to be a fake, of course. No one could really expect someone to have studied anatomy could fail for this spot. But Eads was positive that he had the real thing. Cliff's records included a detailed description of the mermaid, including a sketch. The head, he said, was that from a female orangutan. The teeth and jaw were from a baboon, as well as the hair. It had taxidermy fake eyes. The nails were possibly quills or horns. The creature's torso was attracted to a salmon, measured about 2 feet 10 inches length. Eads, however, somehow managed to wrangle the report submitted to customs and not to be revealed to the public. His mermaid would go on to display as a genuine article upon claiming his ugly specimen from the warehouse of Dr. Ray Price, zoologist, actually declared the specimen as a real deal. The Fiji mermaid went on display in Turf Coffee House on St. James Street, London. The owner, a Mr. Watson, not to be confused with John, rented the space to Eads, and the exhibit held, held between 300 and 400 visitors a day, each visitor paying a shilling interest fee, which was soothing Eads just fine, until the owner of the Pickering caught up with them. Dun, dun, dun. Now, Stephen Ellery, who owned seven-eighths of the Pickering, did want his money back. And he, you know, didn't take a chance of Eads even making a hasty retreat back to America. Eads was brought up before the Chancery Court on November 20th of 1822. Poor Eads had only the mermaid on display for less than a month and a half before she was declared a ward of the court. Meaning he could not sell off with her. Eads craftily tried to advertise that Sir Everett Holmes had declared the mermaid to be genuine, which was the exact opposite of what Clift had claimed during his analysis. Now, of course, Clift was miffed about this, and he published his own long article stating how the mermaid was fake and, you know, supported his evidence on this. Eads was then labeled as a huckster and a cheat. And to pay off his debts, he had no choice but to go back to working the seas. Naturally, he took the mermaid with him. Within two years, the mermaid was out of the news. Also tucked away amongst Eads' belongings. Yes. Now... In 1841, Barnum purchased the Schroeder's Museum in New York City, renaming it as Barnum's American Museum. At the time, a man named Moses Kimball 
operated the Boston Museum. Port Eads died in 1842, and his, Sam, uh, his son, Sam Barrett Eads Jr., inherited the Mermaid. He probably sold it for a quick bit of cash to Kimball, though we cannot find whatever small sum the young man managed to get for it. Kimball took the uh, mermaid with him to show to Barnum, who wanted to have it at his museum. So the two of them made a deal that despite Barnum being unable to find anyone to authenticate it, he would lease it from Kimball for $12.50 a week, or just shy of $470,000 U.S. Uh, today currency. Four hundred and seventy, not four hundred and seventy thousand. Four hundred and seventy. <laughs> now the mermaid still belonged to Campbell, but Mar uh, Phineas had it on on display. He even had one of his associates, Levi Lehman, pose as Doctor J. Griffin, saying that the Griffin had caught the mermaid down in South America. Lehman, posing as Doctor Griffin, had checked into Philadelphia Hotel Mermaid in Tow and showed it to the house landlords. The landlord was so thrilled he asked uh, Dr. Griffin to show it to his editor friends. With that complicated, Griffin traveled to New York and displayed the mermaid to a small, authentic audience in local concert halls for five days. P.T. had mistakenly invited Griffin to allow the American Museum of Natural History to take a look at the mermaid, printing up 10,000 pamphlets describing transformation and mermaids and a completely made-up story about the specimen himself. Now, just remember, people, Barnum and Bailey also had a This is before Barley. This is before okay. Barnum and Bailey. Well, either way, they still had a unicorn, quote unquote, which was a poor little goat with one horn. And they paraded this thing all around saying it was a unicorn. So how can we believe that this mermaid they had was authentic if this poor goat was just a goat. Makes you think. Yes. It did continue to be popular over the next year, bouncing back and forth between Barnum and Kimball's museums. Following, your, following year, she toured through the southern states, and then she returned to London on exhibit in early 1859. Barnum brought the mermaid home in June of that year and returned her to Kimball. And from there, she apparently disappeared from record. Now, I'm wondering if maybe, you know, she being transported back and forth, maybe the thing just kind of like started getting kind of shabby. And, and that's why it, you know, never really made any other. Maybe. Maybe. Um there are numerous recreations out there that claim to be the quote-unquote real thing, but all have proved thus far to be imitations. Theories abound as to what could have happened to her. However, the most believed one is that she burned with the museum that belonged to Barnum back in 1865. However, he claimed not to have possession of, possession of her at that time. Um, Kimball's own museum burned decades later, but he also never claimed to have lost her at the time. So what do we have? Basically some drawings and notes, and that's it. P.T. Barnum was forced into the circuits business 
after a few more fires completely destroyed his museum and this ending his dream. In 1891, P.T. Burnham did pass away from a stroke. And the Fiji mermaid, as much of a hoax as it turned out to be, does still enchant people to this day, far more than it ever did when she was on display. It inspired books, conspiracy websites, toys, mugs, and other curiosities. If you want a uh, Fiji mermaid of your own, pick up the 3D pattern and mold one for yourself. Even video games are into having mermaids. Elder Scrolls 4 yep. has a mermaid hidden as a feature you can find. I'll have to go back and look at that because, well, mm -hmm. you know, I love the Elder Scrolls games. Right. So I will have to go back and look for that mermaid. Um. Even if you're into old-fashioned board games and not video games, there's a game called Horror Clicks where you can find mermaids in it. Um, you also have Harry Potter, you know, that, I think it was Gobble of Fire where they had the mermaids under the water. Right. Do you want a better, um, kinder, gentler mermaid fair? There's always Hans Christian Anderson and his fairy tale, in which should not be confused with the Disney adaptation. In the original story, our mermaid fails to win the prince's heart and is left to either murder him or allow herself to die. Not so family friendly there. You can always crochet your very own mermaid and place her on display stand. There are living doll, dead mermaids, plastic cores to haunt your child's dreams and nightmares, and even Barbie had her own uh, turn flipping some things. Mm -hmm. I remember that came out in the 90s. Right. You know, maybe she just leave mermaids to girls at the pool, mommy's glamour photo shoots on the beach, and then the realm of Walt Disney. It sounds much more safer that way. You... It does kind of uh, conclude our topic on mermaids. So we asked our, uh, you, and, uh, you and the viewers, what do you think? Do we have something swimming under DC? Is there a, uh, a tale to be told that's been passed through time? Did Atlanteans actually uh, go down into uh, into the water and create uh, the uh, hidden city of Atlantis. You know, did they become mermaids? I mean, they were experimentations with uh, animals and uh, humans mixed together. So that is one of the questions. So, yes, let us know in the comments below your thoughts and if you think mermaids are real or if you think it's just an illusion. Um, what do you think, Ro? Do you believe in mermaids? Do you think they exist? Or you think it's just things that people have seen after being at sea for too long? I think uh, that at one time there may have been mermaids, but I think they've gone extinct. Do you think they were half human, half fish? Or do you think they were just some kind of strange creature? Uh... There are so many tall tales and legends throughout the world. Uh, I would think that they would be uh, there would be a uh, uh, half uh, person, half uh, aquatic creature. Interesting. I know I have pretty much been interested in um, 
mermaids since I was a child. I remember my friend and I wanting to become mermaids and trying to figure out a way to do that. Yes. I do know a uh, lady up in, uh, in Seattle that occasionally will uh, uh, go to uh, local conventions and have you know, kids get uh, their picture taken with a w real mermaid. Interesting. So. So. And uh, there's also a uh, fact back in, during the late 60s, early 70s, Aquarina Springs uh, out there in the uh, uh, San Marcos, Texas, uh, would actually have uh, mermaid and mermen uh, frolic in the pool. Uh, yes, they have those in quite a few places in mm -hmm. Florida as well. Um, but I have found a few articles about mermaids that I will share in the in our Facebook group, Skeptic Psychic. So if you want to check those articles out, become a member and join our group. And don't forget to tune in next week because we will be continuing our conversation about mythical creatures of the sea where we will be talking about Leviathan. And if we believe that those actually exist. So that will be another interesting one. Yes. Also, if you like what you're hearing, please um, like and subscribe and check and, you know, comment. All the fun we stuff. Do, we, do, we do like a one, two, three, four, five stars. Yes, we do like five stars, but we'll take whatever you give us. You can vote to, for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts can be found. And we wish everybody a wonderful week. Stay safe and stay healthy. And take care, sweet dreams. And unpleasant nightmares. Good night, everybody. Take care. Good night. Bye.